Welcome to Bible Study with Jairus, brought to you by Jairus Bible World Ministries. Do not be afraid, only believe. Brother Jairus leads a Bible study group in Chinese every week, and the Holy Spirit often speaks to people during these meetings. We felt compelled to share some of the revelations we received from the Holy Spirit, and we hope these studies will reach and benefit more listeners. All scripture is quoted from the English Standard Version, unless otherwise noted. Thank you for joining us. Bible Study with Jairus, Acts 15 Acts 15 tells us three stories. The first story is about Paul and Barnabas getting into a fierce argument with people about the need to circumcise the Gentiles. Peter and James responded, saying that God had chosen the Gentiles. The second story is the sending of Judas and Silas to Antioch to comfort the brothers and sisters of the Gentiles. The third story is about Paul and Barnabas getting into a disagreement whether or not they should take Mark to Pamphylia. The discussion we had in our Bible study revolved around these three stories. In the first story, the woman leading our Bible study asked why Paul and Barnabas opposed circumcising the Gentiles. What does circumcision signify? Why did the Pharisees insist on circumcising the Gentiles to keep the law of Moses? This opened up our discussion. I shared some of the views of an American teacher on the history of the Pharisees while I was studying a New Testament course in seminary. My teacher recommended some books in class, telling us that the Pharisees are actually people like the vigilantes of Jewish history. Vigilantes is the nickname I have given to the Pharisees. If you don't know the meaning of this internet slang, you can look it up online. I call them vigilantes because they are always looking for someone making a mistake. For example, the Pharisees challenged Jesus for not washing his hands before meals and, in the end, were rebuked by Jesus. He said the Pharisees broke the law of God because of their human traditions. God never created a rule that Moses should wash his hands before meals. This law was created in the Jewish tradition. Although the law requires the Levites to wash themselves when they serve in the tabernacle or in the temple, the Pharisees are not the Levites. And the law does not require the Pharisees or even the Levites, to wash their hands before meals. This was a human-created law, not one declared by God. The Pharisees were an extremely strict sect. When they were suppressed by the Romans, they felt that it was because the other Jews did not keep the law. So they have adhered strictly to the law, voluntarily, and forced others to obey all of the rules, those made by God, and those made by man. They believed the Jews were under the power of the Gentiles because they did not keep the law of God. Thus, they strictly obeyed the law of God and even added a lot of rules to it. In other words, they were acting like vigilantes. Vigilantes are people who aren't policemen but act like they are. The Pharisees were such people. God didn't call them or order them to do so. They volunteered to do these things out of their responsibility to preserve the survival and law of the Israelites. Actively obeying the law of God is good, but on the other hand, 
they were unconsciously becoming the executors of the law. This was a bit much because God did not ask them to do so. The Bible did require the Jews to be circumcised. This was a sign of covenant between Jews and God. But the Bible does not strictly require the circumcision of the Gentiles. All the Bible said was that those Gentiles who live in Israel need to satisfy certain conditions first before they could be circumcised. Instead, the Pharisees demanded that the Gentiles be circumcised. Circumcision is one of the many laws the Pharisees tended to enforce. The woman who led the Bible study also asked why the following verse was mentioned twice. Gentiles wanted to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. Acts 15.20 NIV It is first mentioned when Simon witnessed how God saved the Gentiles and filled them with the Holy Spirit. After that, James said that God also gave salvation to the Gentiles. He used the prophetic words in the Old Testament to confirm that God did promise He would one day reveal Himself to the Gentiles. Therefore, he suggested, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses had been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Acts 15, 20-21, NIV When the brethren sent Judas and Silas to explain these to the Gentile brothers, they had again mentioned, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. You are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. Acts 15, 28 and 29, NIV. What do these two repetitions mean? This is important because the Pharisees would execute the law excessively and the Gentiles knew nothing about the law. So under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, the brethren decided to adopt a compromise or a balance strategy by applying only a few laws to the Gentiles. This helps us understand how to work with different Christian groups today while maintaining unity in the Spirit. The conflict among most churches is still due to their different understandings of the Bible. If we can take a step back and hold to some basic truths, such as Jesus, the Word, became flesh, died, and was resurrected, without arguing over other controversial issues, then we can stay unified in the Holy Spirit. The second story is about when the apostles and elders chose two people, Judas and Silas, to go to Antioch and explain the unanimous decision reached by the Church of Jerusalem, denying that the people who were calling for the circumcision of the Gentiles were not sent by them. The Bible commended Judas and Silas for being men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 15.26, NIV. Verse 22 says that they chose Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, men who were leaders among the believers. This passage of Scripture foreshadows our understanding on why Paul and Barnabas argued later in this chapter. 
We did not see it at the beginning, but we realized this foreshadowing while talking about the third story. The third story is about Paul and Barnabas engaging in a conflict with Mark. Barnabas insists on taking Mark, but Paul thought that Mark was not suitable to bring, since he returned home early on their last trip. Paul and Barnabas disagreed. Eventually, Barnabas takes Mark and sails for Cyprus, but Paul chooses to take Silas with the blessings of the brethren and traveled through Syria and Cilicia to strengthen the churches there. The teaching that I've received explains that the reason why Barnabas and Paul were arguing is that Barnabas may have had a bias because Mark was his relative, and perhaps Paul just thought that Mark was not suitable to go with them at this time. But Paul admitted in his letter later that Mark was useful to him and that Mark was restored years later. One argument of those who hold this view is that Barnabas has never been mentioned in the subsequent verses of the Bible. This argument makes some sense, but through our study of this chapter and today's study, several members had different opinions. One woman said that maybe the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas is not a question of who is right or wrong, but rather Paul not wanting to risk their mission since Mark left early last trip. Barnabas seems to think that Mark is still trustworthy to serve. Therefore, he regards Mark's spiritual life as more important and is thinking about Mark first. From this point of view, the difference between Paul and Barnabas is not necessarily a question of who is right and who is wrong, but rather different priorities being placed on them by the Holy Spirit. Because Mark is restored later, Maybe we can say that Barnabas played an important pastoral role in his restoration. While this argument is reasonable, another woman replied that this still does not explain why the Bible does not mention Barnabas again, as if his exit is a bit unexpected. She asked everyone, Is it unexpected for people like Moses, whom God favors, to suddenly exit out of the scene of the Bible? I said that although Moses offended God, and God did not allow him to enter the promised land, Moses still appears later in the New Testament, Matthew 17, 2-3, NIV. From this, we can see that Moses was able to enter the promised land in a different way. And there is a greeting behind every letter written by Paul, so it is reasonable to end something properly. This woman speculated that perhaps Barnabas did something that made God unhappy. In this regard, I think that everyone who serves God will make mistakes, but some mistakes are too big and can carry consequences for future generations. Maybe Barnabas changed and no longer was following the Lord's leading, and thus no longer appears in Scripture. The meeting approached its end, but I saw that not everyone wanted to finish. I sensed the Holy Spirit might have something else to say. As expected, the Holy Spirit suddenly inspired me regarding two verses. This verse appears after the sending of Judas and Silas, who represent the Church of Jerusalem, to Antioch and other places to read the Council's letter. The people read it and were glad for its encouraging message. Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen the believers. After spending some time there, they were sent off by the believers with the blessing of peace to return to those who had sent them. But Silas decided to remain there. Acts 15, 31-34, NIV.
Suddenly, I was inspired by the Holy Spirit and asked everyone a question. When the brethren sent Silas and others back from Antioch and to Jerusalem, why was Silas unwilling to leave them? The Bible specifically stated that only Silas believed that he should continue to stay in Antioch. And the Bible also mentioned that Silas was a man who led the brethren in Jerusalem and said that he risked his life for the gospel of God. He's also a prophet, a person who has received words and revelations from the Lord. This involves a huge principle of the Holy Spirit, and it is definitely not a simple disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Rather, the question should be, 1. How can the Holy Spirit move forward and assign who will be the leader for the next move of God? 2. Who will be able to match Paul with moving God's work forward? 3. And how will the Holy Spirit make use of his spiritual gifts to build the church? The verses that I've mentioned and laid a foundation in the beginning of the article clearly show that the Holy Spirit wanted Barnabas to step out in this stage. This is only on the surface, and the root cause of it is that God wanted to guide Silas toward frontline service and co-work with Paul. This is a big point that many of us have overlooked. I had not seen this before and just saw this in the meeting when the Holy Spirit suddenly illuminated these words. I'll explain it in more detail. Perhaps it will help you understand it better. First, let's look at the relationship between Barnabas and Paul. When Paul was still Saul, he experienced a sudden change from a person who persecuted Christians to a person who served God. The disciples had not accepted Paul. Only Barnabas introduced and accepted Paul. Barnabas's mentoring played a significant role in Paul's development. This may be one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit had not mentioned Barnabas's shortcomings and weaknesses here. God was willing to cover for him because he was helping Paul to grow spiritually. Once, when I was teaching in another session, I asked our Bible study members why did Barnabas accept Paul and not the others. But in the end, Barnabas and Paul get into a conflict resulting in a split. My answer then was that it's not easy to accept a new person, and it's even more difficult to accept a new person to be your leader. The first point is that Barnabas was doing better than others. The second point is that maybe he is not doing so well after all. Why do I think this? For example, if we are in the church today or even in a cell group, a newcomer, who has lower qualifications than you or even a person you have helped or mentored before, becomes your boss or leader, how would you feel? Perhaps some bitterness? This is only human nature. Barnabas was certainly useful in shaping Paul, but when Paul was mature enough to be a builder, which God called him to be, perhaps this is where the conflict between him and Barnabas started. On the surface, it seems that it's a problem with Mark, but the fundamental problem is who is in charge. Barnabas may have felt that he was older than Paul, and he also recommended bringing Paul into the ministry. Paul should listen to him, or at least agree with him by allowing Mark to go. But Paul is adamant, putting Barnabas in an awkward position. But maybe Paul is the one following the leading of the Holy Spirit and he may have felt in his spirit that it wasn't right. 
he did not give in just because he had a relationship with Barnabas. Maybe Barnabas wanted Paul to take Mark so he could learn. If Barnabas was a senior at that time, ready to retire, Mark could probably inherit his mantle and continue his ministry. Why didn't Paul use this opportunity to give Barnabas a favor and help Mark? If Paul had let Mark come, it would be understandable according to human standards. But he may have missed God's will because God's plans for your life far exceed human standards. I told many of the men and women who have been with me in our Bible studies that the Holy Spirit is the best film director and screenwriter. Every time we read the Bible, we must carefully understand the ideas and thoughts of the directors and playwrights in order to help us understand the Bible better. The previous argument over circumcision led the disciples to choose Judas and Silas as the men who were leaders among the believers, Acts 15.22 NIV, and praised them that they can risk their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 15.26 NIV. Afterwards, it says that Judas and Silas were prophets themselves, and they said much to encourage and strengthen the believers, Acts 15.32 NIV. When the brethren of Antioch thought that they had already spent enough time there, they intended to send him and Judah off safely. The Holy Spirit specifically mentioned that only Silas felt, for some reason, that he should continue to stay there. Why? We can say that since he's a prophet, he was moved by the Holy Spirit to stay. At that time, he still didn't know the reason why he should stay and not leave. But after reading and listening to this part, I think you may already understand the reason behind it. The Holy Spirit decided to have Paul and Silas work together so that Silas could be at the forefront of this stage of history. From just a background character who renders service to a person who is put in front of the stage to a leading role with Paul. This leads him to go with Paul who is sent out by God to build the house of God and lead the movement of God. Thus, Silas was moved by the Holy Spirit to stay in Antioch. Otherwise, if he did not obey the will of the Holy Spirit and left in accordance with the opinions of the brethren, then he would not have been able to complete or accomplish the task that was to be entrusted to him. God's plan was for Silas to stay with Paul, but the brethren of Antioch had the intention of sending him back to Jerusalem and Barnabas wanted to bring Mark along with him. This clearly shows the inconsistencies between humans and God. Even church leaders or mature Christians can miss God's will. This is God's will versus man's opinion. This has a very significant spiritual significance. A pastor in the United States, Bill Johnson, often says that, over the ages, people who have opposed the new move of God are the ones used by God in his previous move. In other words, yesterday, we may have been greatly used by God, but when God moves forward again, we may not be able to keep up and consequently hinder God's work. For example, Barnabas may be a good person. As the Bible stated, maybe he had no intention of being hard on Paul, as I've guessed before. Perhaps, it was just that Barnabas was already old and had some established views on things and how God works. On the other hand, Paul was young and had received revelation from God. 
Still, Barnabas may have felt that Paul was not reliable. As a result, the two had a conflict. Their conflict may be caused by their love of God. The two sides have no selfish motives. They are both trying to do what they think is right for the sake of the Lord and the church. But they have affected God's work. Even if Barnabas' idea is a little old and he hasn't done anything bad to Paul, it still may not be suitable to be co-workers with Paul again. My other guess is that perhaps God has reminded Barnabas many times, you can retire, let the young people do it. Through your guidance and mentoring, Paul has become more mature now. You can retire already. Let's give the young people some opportunities. Barnabas may have said to the Holy Spirit, Actually, I'm still like Caleb. I refuse to give in to old age. My expertise is still needed. For example, Mark is a good young man. Shouldn't I continue to develop him to be a co-worker for Paul in the future? I shared at the meeting that it's not easy when you are the leader in the church, because when the time comes, they'll let you retire and let the young people replace you. This is hard, because sometimes you don't feel ready to retire just yet. It's also hard because if you retire, you hope to put someone in place who will give you some say in the future. This is only human nature. But I said that this is not the purpose of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to introduce and bring Silas to the front stage. In addition to the special commendation by the Holy Spirit towards Silas that I've mentioned previously, the Holy Spirit continues to give Silas more credit, paving the way for his appearance. This has another profound hidden meaning, which is contained in 1 Corinthians 12:28. The verse says, And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. 1 Corinthians 12:28 NIV. Both Paul and Barnabas are apostles. How did the apostles come into being? These two apostles are mentioned in Acts 13, when the prophets and teachers were worshiping the Lord and fasting in the church at Antioch, the Holy Spirit called Paul and Barnabas to be apostles. Rick Joyner, a prophet in the United States, said that only when teachers and prophets come and serve together will the apostles be produced. He's referring to the traditional church's neglect of the gift of the prophet and other churches that acknowledge the gift of the prophet but do not pay attention to the gift of the teacher. The two did not integrate fasting and praying, so it is impossible to produce apostles like Paul and Barnabas in today's church. Another aspect of this passage is Christ Jesus' work in building the foundations of the apostles and prophets. This is what the Holy Spirit said through Paul in Ephesians 2.20. Ephesians 2, 19-20 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Since the Holy Spirit has laid a good foundation for the church, through apostles like Paul and Barnabas, the next step is to build a second foundation, the prophets. Therefore, the Holy Spirit specifically mentioned that Silas was a prophet himself and had said much to encourage and strengthen the believers in Antioch.
he was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and because of this he remained in Antioch. The Holy Spirit's guidance had profound significance because it led a prophet like him to work with Paul while building the second foundation of the church, the prophet. Some people say that the apostles are the greatest gifts to the church. Paul was gifted in many ways. His role as an apostle meant he could function as a prophet, teacher, miracle worker, servant, etc. In layman's terms, an apostle is a well-rounded person or a general practitioner. A general practitioner is not an expert in any one area, but versed in a little of all of them. For example, when you have a general practitioner as your family doctor, they know a little bit about everything. When the patient comes, the general practitioner can help further diagnose the problem. But you will probably need to see a specialist for serious issues. But since a good general practitioner knows a thing or two, they will be able to help find the problem, but might not be able to fix it. Sort of like Tiger Balm, which can do a lot, but not fully heal everything. The primary gift of the prophet is to hear God's timely word. Although I am a Christian who grew up in a traditional church focused on the gift of teaching, I am still extremely eager to pursue the gift of prophecy. I was exposed to the modern prophetic movement in the U.S. after the Lord led me to come out of my evangelical church and into the charismatic church. Since I have studied the five prophetic courses in an online prophetic school, I understand the prophetic movement more clearly. In particular, I'm familiar with the tradition of paying attention to the gift of teaching, which takes a lot of time to study and teach God's Word. But now I've been exposed to the prophetic movements who tend to worship, praise, be alone with God, staying up all night waiting for God, fasting and praying, etc. People have limited energy. You could be well-rounded, but there is only one Paul in this universe. You may not be a well-rounded person like Paul, or even if you are, you may not be as good as Paul. God raised up some well-rounded leaders like Moses, David, and Paul, who were talented in many areas. But this is not the only path. In the church, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. The Holy Spirit is unbiased, but we have different callings. The gift given to you is different. It's not that God doesn't want to give you the good gifts, but you might be too distracted if you're given too much. You may not be able to focus on God's calling because your time, energy, and ability are limited. What God wants to create is not only a person like Paul, but a team or a structure, the gift of the body of Christ, such as the apostles, prophets, teachers, etc., working together to build up the body of Christ. I heard Rick Joyner say in a message that the gifts of the prophets and teachers need to be balanced by each other. Prophets can often hear God's timely words, but if there's no balance by the gift of teaching, it's easy to fall into extremes. I know what this means because I have been pursuing the prophetic gifts. I mentioned previously that I have had some prophetic experiences, including seeing Jesus in heaven and I've also been taken to mysterious heavenly places in my dreams. I'm still a novice who has learned only a little about the gift of prophecy. Many people who have more experiences with the prophetic gift may have more wonderful spiritual experiences. One day, they may say they visited heaven, 
and another day they may say they visited hell. Should you believe them or not? So, if there is no foundation and restrictions of God's Word, it will be unbalanced. For example, I recently saw a WeChat article saying that a Korean pastor had witnessed Calvin in the Lake of Fire. I know some churches that were deeply influenced by Calvin were opposed to the Charismatics and blocked the work of God to a certain extent. But just because of a vision or testimony that Calvin is in the Lake of Fire by a pastor, you can't know that Calvin is in hell. Sometimes stuff like this just gets circulated on the web. I personally think this may be an extreme example of relying too heavily on the so-called prophetic gift or personal experiences. On the other hand, the gift of teaching also needs to be balanced by the gift of prophecy. This is one of the reasons why God put the gift of the prophet in front of the gift of the teacher. If the teacher isn't able to get God's timely words or touch, there's a danger that the spiritual understanding of the message of the Bible could be elevated to the level of doctrine. Over time, it will limit the freedom of the Holy Spirit. I was saved in a traditional evangelical church. This church pays great attention to the study of God's Word. Basically, it's indifferent to or against Pentecostalism and the prophetic movements. When I was led by God to leave my church and come to the Pentecostal church to learn about the gifts of the Spirit, the church elders who care for me were honest with me about their fears that I may have been deceived by the evil spirits. They loved me so much they wouldn't directly reprimand me, but they expressed some anxiety. I personally think that the evangelical church pays too much attention to the gift of the teacher and has overlooked the gift of the prophet, which leads to dogmatism and legalistic tendencies. As the Bible says, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. Proverbs 29.18 NIV the prophet sees vision from God, and teachers need to learn from them, keeping their minds open. Of course, another imbalanced situation can happen in the Pentecostal church if they pay too much attention to the prophets and ignore the teachers of the Word of God. Back to our topic, who should Paul take on his journey, Silas, Barnabas, or Mark? Naturally, the Holy Spirit wanted him to take Silas. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit wouldn't have anointed Silas to stay, nor would it praise Silas again and again in the text. God wants to build the foundation of the church through the gift of the prophets and the apostles. Barnabas was just another apostle, and Paul had already worked with him for a while, and he did a good job. God continued to lead the merger, or cooperation, of apostles and prophets. But is Mark a prophet or a teacher? The Bible isn't explicit about that. Paul later mentions in another letter that Mark was useful to his ministry. Perhaps Mark has the gift of the helper, mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. Of course, the Bible does not say that. It's just my guess. So what the Bible addresses here is not only about Barnabas and Mark, but about the question of who will continue to work together with Paul and how will the church be built. At face value, it's a human dispute, but it's actually about how the church will develop. One false step will make a great difference. If Paul listens to Barnabas' suggestion and lets Mark become his co-worker, 
it may have interfered with God's plan. Again, this is my guess. In my life, various circumstances have come up that didn't seem to make much sense at the time. Over time, I realize that this was the Holy Spirit intervening through circumstances to lead me in the proper direction. We don't often see it clearly in the midst of difficulty. This is especially true when I don't obey God's guidance. God always stirs something up around me that forces me back in the right direction of God's leading. When I look back, I realize that these small accidents or changes in my life are actually orchestrated by God. God may have spoken to Barnabas many times and led him to withdraw from the stage, or he may not have followed God's leading. So God allowed the disagreement with Mark to happen, resulting in a separation between Barnabas and Paul. Either way, Paul ended up taking Silas, who was prepared by the Spirit to work with Paul. I'm not saying this because I want to advocate conspiracy theories or say that God used unethical means. Instead, I'm saying this because I hope to comfort those who have experienced church disputes and divisions. You should not think that it is merely the attack or destruction from evil spirits. And there is no need to argue on who is right or wrong in these kinds of disputes. We can look at it from another perspective. Perhaps God's guidance is different towards different people. Perhaps God is leading you in a new direction, taking you to the place He's prepared for you, which is beyond your expectations. If we are like Barnabas and have been used by God to help bring someone further towards God, when the time comes, will we be able to let go of our pride or resist and be a hindrance to God? Have we allowed Silas, who was led by the Holy Spirit, to enter the front stage and play the leading role? Or will we choose Mark instead, someone who was fostered and trained according to our past church traditions? I have no intention of belittling Mark, but the Bible does not mention that Barnabas ever helped or guided Silas. At this time, Barnabas didn't know Silas. If you were Barnabas, could you accept this reality? You may have longed to see the revival of God, but you didn't expect that when the revival came it would fall on a church next door or on a group of people you disagree with. Would you throw yourself into the revival fire of the Holy Spirit, or would you just stand at a distance and criticize it? These are very practical issues, and it's worthwhile for us who serve God and who are church leaders to think them over. Silas was a great help to Paul in his later service, which is clear, because Paul repeatedly mentions him, and even says some of the letters were written by both Paul and Silas. Just like 1 Thessalonians 1.1, where Paul, Silas, and Timothy have written to the church at Thessalonica. Acts 16.25 tells us that Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Afterwards, in 2 Corinthians 1.19, Paul says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. 2 Corinthians 1.19 NIV Even Peter said, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. 
1 Peter 5.12, NIV. We see from these verses that Silas is a faithful person, more so than Mark who left halfway through their last journey. Clearly, there is a reason why the Holy Spirit chose Silas to replace Barnabas to work with Paul. And Silas was even valued and praised by Peter. This proves once again the importance of our character to the service of the Lord. I hope I have made it clear to you what was really happening in the dispute between Paul and Barnabas. It was not simply an HR dispute. It was much deeper. It was the question of who should continue to co-labor with Paul to lead in the next move of God. Silas's gift and calling as a prophet would help the Apostle Paul to build the foundation of the church, which is the work of the apostles and prophets, as mentioned in Ephesians 2.20. Dear readers or listeners, have you been taught that there are no apostles or prophets today? If you have, I'm telling you that you are being fooled by the enemy. God is restoring the gifts of the apostles and prophets today. Once your veil is taken away, go do some research and you will find out God is doing a great work in restoring these gifts today. Have you ever wondered why we don't have great apostles like Paul today? It's not that the age of the apostles has gone, but it is because that the teachers and prophets haven't come together to pray and fast. One night the Lord appeared to me in a dream and told me two rivers would merge together. I've been thinking about it ever since. I may share more about the experience in another blog. But I would say the merging of the gift of teaching and the gift of prophecy could be the merging of two rivers in my dream. Thank you for your time reading or listening, and stay tuned. We have a lot more to share. If this article blessed you, please consider supporting us. We have a lot of materials that need to be translated and recorded. Brother Jairus is doing this on a volunteer basis, but we still need to pay for translation and recording. Jairus Bible World Ministries is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we can provide tax-exempt receipts for your records. You can visit our website, www.jairusbibleworld.com, to donate online or send a check to P.O. Box 1643, Ellicott City, Maryland, 21041. Please make checks payable to Jairus Bible World Incorporated. You can also donate via PayPal. Our PayPal email address is info at gyrusbibleworld.com. We greatly appreciate your support. Music, Acoustic Guitar One by Audionautics is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license.